Hi, and welcome to the Embody Your Flow podcast. My name is Monica Martin. I am a life transformation coach, and I am here to hold space for you to create a life you truly love by blending spirituality and science. I overcame CPTSD due to severe childhood trauma and burned out. This podcast is all about life transformation, wellness, and reclaiming your birthright, which is to live a life that makes you feel happy, fulfilled, and free. Hi, and welcome to today's episode with my special guest, Melissa Hart. Melissa is a speaker and certified life coach for women. She has a degree in theology and 14 years of leadership experience. Her mission is to help women feeling lost and overwhelmed by life's changes to find clarity and build confidence so they step bravely into the next chapter of their lives. Melissa found her purpose after overcoming religious trauma. She's here with us today to share her powerful life transformation. Hi, Melissa. I'm so happy to have you here today. Hi, thank you for having me, Monica. It's great to be here. And you are here today to talk about your powerful life transformation. So tell me a little bit more about yourself. Where do you, where were you born and you know how did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California in the U.S. And I grew up, you know, I'm really grateful for my childhood. I had very loving parents and they raised me in the evangelical Christian tradition. So I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it is kind of the largest. Not at all. Okay. It's the largest religious group in the U.S. And, um, I guess for those who aren't familiar, that would be a lot of people that support Trump. That's kind of like a lot of people can make that association. So um, they have pretty traditional views such as pro-life and, you know, um, marriages between man and a woman, you know, that kind of nuclear family model. And so I always joke that I started going to church like the second I came out of the womb. It was like, boom, you're you're in, you're going to church. And uh, as I got older, I, I remember being really the one that was wanting to go to church. You know, sometimes people ask me when they hear my story about leaving, oh, well, did, you know, did your parents make you go? And I would say no. I would say my parents put me in. Um but I was really naturally very drawn to this religious organization because it's very black and white. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, this is good. This is bad. And that's my personality. I'm very naturally bent towards that kind of very clear black and white dualistic thinking. And so I clung super hard and I loved it. I love that there was very clear lines around what's true and what's not true what gets you saved, what doesn't get you saved. And so I was really happy to be quite devout. Um, But when I was growing up during that time, I grew up in the height of what's called the purity culture movement. And so that was a, a wide really popular, powerful movement in evangelical Christianity, um, which was the premise is don't have sex before marriage. But the teaching went really beyond that to, you know, women, girls, right? We were taught this from a very young age. You need to cover your body and make sure that you are not tempting (laughs) your brothers. And so there was this message about your body essentially your body is bad right that's what you're hearing that your body can cause other people to stumble that's the language they would use to sin to have impure thoughts or possible actions so uh so i was born in france and you know like we are like i don't know anyone who is religious so there's huge contrast between you know France in the United States, even here in Switzerland, like I don't know anyone who goes to church. Uh, It's really not a thing. Um, I think that some people believe in God, but like it's not something that we actually talk about. It's not a thing. But what Mm -hmm. you have just said about, you know, having to, um, you know, cover yourself and uh, not um, tempt, you know, men. Uh, this is something that I have heard very often in France when I when oh. I lived in France. But 
from people who were Muslim. Okay. So, yeah, this is what I would hear from Yeah, uh, the you people. do see that. I mean, I can't speak, I can't say I know, you know, a whole lot about that, but I do think that is the premise of why they cover themselves. That's my understanding. Yeah. I could be yes, wrong. Yes, it but... is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it was the way it showed up in evangelical Christianity. I'm like, my strongest memories are going to maybe summer camp or something like that. Like, no, very clear lines, no two pieces, you know. Um, or if you would go to, we called it youth group. So this was like, you know, a Wednesday night service for, uh, whatever age group you're in junior high, high school, wherever you're at, yeah. you know, making sure that you dress, they use the word modest. And I remember mm -hmm. being taught that from my parents, you know, just that modesty was important and that you're not showing too much skin. And I, I had this conversation recently with a family member. I don't necessarily have an issue with the modesty conversation but where the damage is done is when you're in this kind of religious setting and you have someone standing on a pulpit with the authority of god and giving you this message where you're, you're saying this body that you're inhabiting is bad and that but you have god created this body didn't he it's right? very confused exactly yeah, it's very it is confusing and and they would say things like don't you don't want to do anything that's remotely sexual with someone because they might not be your husband and women girls you are like a flower and every time you do something a petal falls off of you don't you want to be a fully bloomed flower for oh your husband that's so sound that sounds like <laughs> i don't know if you've ever watched yeah. jane the virgin no the I tv haven't. show I loved it. Um, it's an American TV show. I think it was on CW. I've heard of it. I heard of yeah, it. Yeah, and so you have this, I think the very first episode, you have the grandmother who tells Jane, you know, like, who, who shows, like, a flower in a frame. It's like, you know, like, this is you. Like, this is your, your flower. See? And and I think, you know, I think she said, you know, like, if I can't remember exactly, but, you know, like, if you do something to the flower, then it kind of, like, becomes, you know, Starts like. wilting damaged i guess yeah you know and um yeah and that you know that stays with you it's shame inducing right yeah. and so you start to have this view and perception of your body um in a negative you see yourself in a negative light right and say say you in their words, quote unquote, slip up and you make out with someone or you whatever. Now you've had this messaging. Now you're going to carry that with you every day. You're carrying mm -hmm. this shame about yourself and I suck and I'm so terrible and I don't love Jesus enough and I'm a bad Christian and the level of just shame and guilt. And so you would see often in church settings, there would be this call for repentance And you would just see all of these people just sobbing hysterically and walking up to the stage. And I'm so sorry. And I'm so broken. And there would just be this extreme emotional response to this call for people to repent, essentially, for their sin. And interestingly, <laughs> that became a show. And so it was kind of like people one-upping each other. So then if you did that, say you repented and you said, I messed up and I slept with my girlfriend or whatever it was. And that's so horrible. And I'm so sad and I'm so sorry. Then you're celebrated. Oh, good job. Good job for repenting and telling the truth and coming back to God. And he's called you and you've been found. And so then there's this weird elevation yeah. of people who are so brave so it's like this weird cycle do you see and it's very it was very performative <laughs> and not authentic right that that leads to people putting on this fake kind of mask to kind of to win to level yeah. up in that particular community and what's your and obviously you know you've gone through the transformation but i am so wanting to ask you 
now from your now perspective, what do you think about this whole show? Okay, truthfully. Yeah, truthfully. Truthfully, I think people are doing the best that they can. And I think that religion offers people a helpful construct religion gives people meaning what is the meaning of life what is what is our purpose it answers those questions for most people and it kind of gives you this this path to follow and here's here's how to do life and i one of my core values is that you know or core beliefs is that everyone's doing the best they can with the skills and resources available to them and i think that all the people that you know were in the system were brought to it and you can say whether or not they were indoctrinated to some degree i do see it as a cult-like environment um but i think now that i've left and i've learned a lot about how our bodies and our minds operate i can see that everyone was just trying to belong and to act in a way that was safe because see in that setting if you push back or you ask questions or you say, um, that doesn't actually make sense. You know, like I don't actually think the world was created in six days, like science, Mm -hmm. you are, there are severe consequences for that. And they set the system up in that way that does not allow for people to push back and question. And so when I look back on this behavior, it's just like everyone was doing the best that they could to belong there. That doesn't excuse harmful behavior, but I I do have an attitude now of compassion and understanding about why people do the things that they do. Like, I don't think people are showing up, you know, like, I don't think the pastor is showing up to youth group and consciously thinking, I'm going to teach about purity culture and harm these women and affects their perception of their bodies for the rest of their life (laughs) like they're not thinking that they really believe that the best way to live is to save sex for your husband that you're going to spend the rest of your life with i think they really they really believe that and so again there's a difference between holding people accountable and saying hey this this behavior is harmful and thinking that people are coming with insidious motivations does that make sense it does but i think a lot of dictators actually truly believe that what they do come from a good place that's what i'm saying i i absolutely yeah right okay okay i see what you're saying right yes and i and yeah would you say because from what you're telling me it feels like this is a system within the system. This is more control over the people. It's interesting. I, I did a I did a podcast recently and he was from my faith back, same back okay. he had left, he had left as well. And he said at one point early in the conversation, he's like, Well, I feel like you're holding back, like you're not calling them out to the level of harm that is existing there. And I guess why I am hesitant to go that far, to be honest with you, Monica, is like, I, okay, what purpose does that achieve? So say I, as a coach and a speaker, I'm, I'm, I'm going around and I'm constantly just like railing on, on the church. What happens is that creates division and that creates an us versus them kind of mentality and I think that's very prominent in the world right now especially in America we are struggling so much with that yeah and so I do choose to have a more loving compassionate way of speaking about where I came from because I'm interested in bringing us closer together and so if I'm able to see what is good motivations behind behavior and understand human psychology and sociology and why we do things and belonging to a pack and what that does to our minds and our nervous system. 
you know, I was doing the best I could too. I was in it. I was a leader. So when I was in the church, I was always in leadership positions. I have harmed a lot of people, women, particularly back then that I had to do a lot of repairing. What do you mean by that? So I also bought in. I I, I was in 100%. So I I remember a friend coming to me and telling me sort of <laughs> in a backwards way because she wasn't sure how I was going to react that she was gay. And she asked me, you know, if you think you're gay, you know, what are you supposed to do? You know, how are you supposed to live your life if you don't want to like have a relationship with a man? And I remember telling her that, well, if that, you know, we were talking about this other person, yeah, <laughs> which was her. <laughs> yeah. That's a, but a did you know, did, story. Did you know at the time that it was her? I don't think so. Okay. I don't, I don't think so. And I told her that, that means that that person is called to a life of celibacy, <laughs> which is to never have sex and to live alone forever. Yeah. Um, and this person also struggled, had a lot of mental health struggles and she struggled with drugs during, co- this was during college. And my approach was so heavy handed and, and very punishment oriented instead of um, being able to recognize, you know, in, in the church, in the evangelical church, mental health is not recognized. Like if you have depression or anxiety, you need more Jesus. Like you need to go to church more. You're lost. You need to pray more. Right. Yeah. You're doing something wrong. There's, you know, like it's not actually something actually going on medically. And so I can look back and say like, wow, that my friend was having a real mental health crisis. And I was just like, not even recognizing it as a legit thing. And I also was closeting her (laughs) and not allowing her to become the full expression of herself. And so that's what I mean. I have countless more examples I can give where because I was, I led Bible study groups. I was a leader in the dormitory of women. And so I led the dorm my senior year. And so I had a lot of influence over a lot of women when I was still in the church and I can look back and see where I did not love or help them because I was coming from such a dogmatic, like religious lens. And so again, to your point, I thought I was doing the right thing and that I was helping them and saving them. And, and, and ultimately the reason I was doing that is because I believe that this way of living brought the most joy and peace. And so if I put myself back there and I heard someone speaking or on a podcast, just like totally going off against my belief system and how it's so horrible and wrong, I'm not going to be inclined to have a conversation with that person, right? That's not going to draw me closer to that person. It's going to draw me further apart from them. And so in my work, Monica, like I am trying to find that line between saying, hey, this was my experience and this is how it affected me and caused harm to me. And yet I understand because I was there. And so I can live a different way and I can call out what I see. But I'm going to choose how I speak and how I carry myself and relate to that community in a little bit of a different way a more compassionate way because I want to bring our society closer together instead of further apart. And, you know, I think it's really easy. It's a lot more juicy, right? Especially like, especially in America, right? The clickbait and like, it's, you get a lot yeah. more engagement. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if you're I, like, know. Oh, I can see it from here. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sure I would probably be a lot more popular if I was just, I don't know, you know, totally going crazy. Um, But that's just not, I don't feel that that is conducive to the healing that our society needs and our ability to sit down and have nuanced conversation, to be able to say, this system, this religious system causes so much harm. Is it possible that at the same time, 
this religious system serves a very important and dare I say necessary purpose in our society. Can those two things be true at the same time? I think they might be. I think that any system needs to be criticized and needs to be examined and have course corrections and have a real a real honest conversation about what is going on and where did we get off base but do i think throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying because this system is harmful and hurts people and is messed up get rid of it all go you know i don't think so like i don't think that that is the solution and that's because you know when i left finally i was that way. I was so angry and I was like, it's the worst. And I definitely, I went through my own just grieving process, which included a lot of anger and a lot of rage at what had happened to me. But then I started really studying. I realized, gosh, I grew up in this bubble and I don't know anything about how anything works. And so when I started really understanding the role that religion plays, particularly in American society, I would argue that it is necessary. And do, does that mean that everyone has to participate? No, right? Absolutely not. It doesn't. Um, but I can recognize that it does play an important part. And, and that's not part? popular. Um, so I think that religion, religious communities offer a really unique structure for a coming together. You know, I can just speak to America, but, you know, we don't talk to our neighbors anymore. <laughs> you know, we don't engage. We're very like individualistic. And a lot of that is just the rise of media and social media. The church offers this place where we come together and we care for one another you have a baby, you're getting two months of meals, right? Like you're, they set you up on meal train and you've got all this food coming for you. Someone loses their husband, that widow is taken care of. And so it offers um, the way that the community takes care of each other is you don't see that really anywhere else. And it's so lacking and it's very important. But do you think that we could create that? these yes. communities you know without religion but you know which we would just be there for one another yeah. how so yeah the answer is yes uh show it to me i would love to see it <laughs> I, I i have seen it i have seen it through a particular nonprofit organization that i work with um i you know i often tell people you know it's not that i am saying this is the best way. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying religion is the best way. I'm just saying, let's let's have that conversation about what would an alternative be and slowly build that and move towards it before we say abolish this thing, right? Because it does serve a purpose. I think it also serves that, like I spoke about earlier, I think it serves that like existential purpose. It gives, whether it's right or wrong, it gives people, need, humans need constructs. We do. Can the constructs be wrong or even harmful to some degree yeah but we need them we can't very few people can live in this space of like I don't know what life means I don't know what my purpose it doesn't mean anything for most people they can't handle that that is so destabilizing to their nervous system that they need answers and they need this structure I, I agree I, I totally agree um And I'm not saying that there's a right or a wrong because it's really about, you know, each and every one of us to decide what we want for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I would just share that, you know, because I grew up in a, so in France, like it's a Christian country, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, like people barely practice, you know. Uh, so I grew up, you know, um, in an environment that was uh, non-religious. And so I had to find the, you know, the mm -hmm. answers to my questions and I had to find my own purpose. And, um, and I mean, I made it, you know, yeah, uh, right. mm -hmm. I made it. 
Uh, and I think, you know, it's the case of, you know, probably like a lot of people in France or maybe like a lot of people here in Switzerland, because we were not um, we were not brought up in that religious um, environment. So it's possible. It does yeah. exist. Could it be, uh, you know, could it be something um you know, I think that it's impossible right now in the United States because it would be such a huge shift that it wouldn't mm -hmm. be possible. And, you know, it's a different culture. It's a different way of living. It's a different state of mind, but it's possible. But it's really about, you know, I think religion is very, very deeply rooted in the United States. And so, you know, like I think they said, oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so deeply rooted that you cannot just uh, take it away, you know. Right. And it's like you said, it's it would be better to have these conversations and, you know, find balance, I guess. And I will say the evangelical church is starting to look at itself. So okay. for example, yeah, there was this massive, 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 they call them mega churches here in okay. America. And it had a big downfall. And one of the largest Christian publications called Christianity Today did a long podcast series where they know if i would use the word investigated kind of but they really took what i thought was a mostly honest look about what happened there they had a lot of women on talking about their harm and this podcast blew up in a good way and started a lot of really honest conversations about the harm that churches can cause to people primarily women I also had a girlfriend who is she's I have a girlfriend who is still very much in the church and a friend of her sent her a podcast about purity culture. And it and she and I started to have conversations about how that affected us and how even in her marriage in a religious context, how she's starting to recognize how purity culture may have affected her. And so I can see that they are starting to have these conversations within their own communities about, oh, hmm. Okay, a lot of people are telling us that they yeah. got really hurt and that they're really messed up. And so can we have conversations about this? So that goes back. Here's an example I use. So I be when I used to be super like, you know, hardcore <laughs> about things in the religious community, I was often a friend and mentor to a lot of women. And when they would kind of go through difficult situations in their relationships, like with their boyfriend or something. And the boyfriend was doing not great things or hurting them or whatever. I would just be like, you got to ditch him. You got to go. You got to cut him off. Like, this is not good for you. He's, I took a very hard and fast, kind of aggressive. That's the word I'm looking for. Black and white. To, there you go. To giving advice to women in these relationships. That obviously never went well. And so what happened? Those women would distance themselves from me. Now I can look I in my own life now because I've developed more skills. I know <laughs> people are going to do what they want to do. Of okay? course. I can have whatever opinion I want to have on that relationship. They're going to do what they're going to do. So it's better. It doesn't mean I don't speak truth and I don't say, hey, I'm really like worried about. I mean, it, it's different if we're talking about violence. Okay. I, I mean, that's I probably don't have to say it, but that's different. Okay. But if we're talking about a woman having just normal struggles in a relationship and I just really think it's bad for them, I've learned like they're going to do whatever they're going to do. So if I want to stay in relationship, okay, with that woman in a relationship that I have opinion about, it's better for me to lovingly support her in her own process and, and that allows me to stay in relationship with her. And then you know what happens when shit hits the fan? she comes to me, right? And because she knows that I have loved and supported her throughout the process. And so I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm drawing the analogy to what's going on in the church in America right now. It's like, it doesn't mean I don't say, oh, there's messed up stuff going on over there. But for example, my friends or my family who are still, still very much in the church when I was in those early stages of deconstructing and leaving and I had all these feelings, you know, they didn't like that, right? That that was not helpful for my relationship with them to be going on and on about how it's so wrong and messed up. And so I have learned to have my own process and my own feelings. 
and have boundaries in those relationships so that I can stay in them because they're important to me. And so that's the same for what I see going on in America. It's like the church is going to go through its own process and they are looking at themselves. Do I think it, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying like, it's the best thing. It's the forever solution. It has to stay forever. No, I would never say that. Like, I don't know. I can't, I can't say one way or the other, but I do think that it is important for me that I do everything that I can to stay in relationship with people or communities or systems again, because that helps us stay more unified than divided and what made you want to leave the church yeah so it really was not planned (laughs) in any way like I went to school I majored in bible and theology I thought it was going to be a missionary and save the world I my last seven years in the church was spent in a particularly cult-like church community okay um on the Oregon coast and over time, my just anger towards how I was watching them treat people grew and grew. You know, I watched them tell women who were being abused by their husbands to stay um, and really terrible things like that. And so um, my last Sunday morning that I spent in that church, the young pastor stood on the stage and said that he believed that the Bible taught us that women can't teach scripture. So in the evangelical church, you only men can teach, like can preach from the stage and women cannot. Women can, of course, take care of all the babies in the nursery, but they can't. (laughs) And he said, I think the Bible teaches us that because women's emotions cloud their ability to interpret scripture correctly (laughs) (laughs) i see and men are more clear-headed and logical thus they are allowed to teach all of us um that did it for me because i knew that that was factually wrong women are not more emotional than men men have been conditioned exactly (laughs) to hide and suppress them yes opposed right and so i was like you just stood up there and taught your opinion over hundreds of people. And I knew, I knew couples in the church where the men were more in their feminine and the women were more in their masculine in their relationship. And again, I thought, wow, how shaming for that man, right? And how just like, you're just saying to them, like, how you are is like wrong and you're supposed to be this way and not this way. And, And it just was factually wrong. So that you know, again, a lot had led up to it, but that was the last time I physically attended that place. And there was something about not physically going anymore, right? Not needing to like suppress all of these feelings because I needed to belong in mm-hmm. physically in that space. Very quickly, I deconstructed everything. And again, it just wasn't planned uh really the catalyst was a podcast that i had found of people who had deconstructed their faith systems as well and so not going to that space anymore gave me the freedom to listen to things right and ask questions and that just wouldn't have been a safe thing to do right if i was still in that space and so um it was truly uh once I really leaned in, it was a matter of weeks, <laughs> literally, when I went Whoa. from, yeah, for a lot of people, it's years, and they stay in it while they're deconstructing. Yeah. Um, again, I think because I had a lot of buildup, and I studied it, and I had seen a lot of things that I was like, I don't know, I don't know, and repressed a mm-hmm. lot of it. I went from, li- it was my entire my entire identity to, I don't believe any of it anymore, was like a couple weeks. <laughs> It was very fast. And and how did like, you yeah. handle that emotionally and, you know, mentally and physically and, you know, all the things? Because it was, you know, it was probably such a shock, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
So I am forever grateful for this podcast. It's called The Liturgist. And what it did for me was that I was listening to people who had gone all the way down into the valley, right, of having the existential crisis, and they've come out and found themselves in a path. And so what that did for me was it allowed me to deconstruct everything and go all the way down to none of this that I've believed for 30 years is true. And I didn't, I think a lot of people that really messed with them, it didn't cause such a crisis for me because I had this community that had made it out to the other side. But even though I had that assurance, there were a lot of there was a range of emotions that I went through. A big one that I think a lot of people don't talk about when discussing major life change or transformation is grief and the loss of the only community I had ever known relationships, Mm -hmm. grieving the loss of the sense of security, right? Like there was a sense of security and stability that this community offered me. You have the answers. You are right. You're going to heaven and to lose that is, whew, that's a lot, right? Um, I struggled with, while I was feeling that, I also felt more alive than I had ever felt. For me, I would describe it as an awakening. Yeah. It, felt, it felt that the glasses were taken off and I saw the world as it truly was. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm fully awakened or arrived, but it was a layer. I, mm-hmm. I reached a layer of awakening where I understood constructs like I had never really thought about yeah the world is made up of constructs and like I just I never thought about that in my life and to see the world that way and to understand how it worked in that regard I just the lights were on (laughs) all of a sudden the lights were on and I felt an incredible unburdening because like I said I had question not question I had pushed against a lot. There are a lot of things that I saw in college and in this church that I was like, this is messed up. And so to recognize then like, ah, oh, I didn't have to carry that doubt anymore, that angst, that rage. I could release it and be like, oh, okay. I don't have to pretend that I'm all about this anymore. Like I don't have to play their game. So there was a lightness and um, I was so, so happy. And yet at the same time, I was experiencing this grief, grief mm-hmm. and this loss of, oh boy. And, and, you know, the year, the years following, I did kind of describe it as a floating, like you're now you're like, oh, oh, I just had 30 years of like, this is exactly how to do life. And I don't have those answers now. And yeah, it, it you're just kind of floating out here like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, this yeah, is all that my body knows how to do. Yeah. And did you go see a therapist or, you know? Yeah, I had, let's see, I think I started with a therapist shortly after that. Um, I really leaned into a season of learning. The amount of hours that I spent <laughs> listening to podcasts and reading books <laughs> Woo. I mean, I was like a kid and like, I was like, I, there's this whole world out here that yeah. I don't know. So a lot of it was learning, just really learning, 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 learning all of these things that were not allowed before. I didn't know how they worked. Um, and I really just wanted to learn. It's like what I'm sure you've experienced it. Once you like experience that kind of awakening, you just want more, like you yeah. want more of that. Um, and so a lot of a lot of learning what was the the primary the primary thing that i that i learned that has allowed me to stay in the gray even to this day i rhymed um was learning about embodiment and building a relationship with my body right we started with talking about purity culture and what happens is when you're in that system you start to dissociate. I yeah. always say that the the greatest harm that the church caused me was to break this relationship I had with my own body and to cause me to dissociate and hate her. And so 
the primary work that I did with a therapist, with coaches, I went on a retreat. Um, you know, there was this whole community of people that had left and healers that worked in that space. And they taught me how to build a relationship with my body again and to trust her and to understand that she's constantly speaking to me. Yeah, it's and true. you telling me what's going on in the world. And she's also constantly working to protect me and, and recognizing some self-protective defense mechanisms that she very wisely developed after years of being in this harmful system and learning a new way to be in the world and to listen to her. And that you'll hear me, I talk her. And so one of the ways I built that relationship is to see my body as a person. Jamie Lee Finch taught me this. And when you see your, you know, you aren't separate from your body, but when you come from a background like mine and you're so dissociated from your body, seeing your body as a person and referring her to as a her (laughs) allows you to start to build a relationship with her right and you and you see your body as a person you see your body as this thing that is working for you and not against you yeah it it, it totally makes sense you know I I see the body as a I always say you know like that the body is my vessel in this physical reality Mm -hmm. and that it's me but at the same time, I have to have a relationship with my body. Yes. Because for, um, you know, I like I I went through a lot of trauma in my childhood. And obviously, you know, I dissociated early on from my own body. And then I had um, decades of, you know, physical symptoms. And then I had chronic pain and chronic fatigue and mm-hmm. all the things. And, you know, I didn't like my body. I mean, my body was screaming mm-hmm. things to me that I was not able to understand. And, um, and so for me, my body was a real pain. You know, it was like, I didn't understand. I was like, why isn't my body, you know, why is my body fighting against me? It was a me? thing to be fixed or yeah, something that yeah. was working against you and I was like you know I didn't understand that and I was you know I had I wouldn't say that I had anger but I was very frustrated Mm -hmm. and it's until I had my burnout last summer in summer 2021 um I that's when I realized that you know like when I started to Mm -hmm. practice you know embodiment and all these Mm -hmm. things and that all because I didn't want to have, a, I didn't want to look at my trauma. I didn't think that my childhood had traumatized me, <laughs> which is funny, right? I had all, I went, I went for like, two not me. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I went on this healing journey, like for two decades. And I thought that, you know, like I didn't even realize, cause I didn't want to see it. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. I didn't want my childhood to have any impact on my life. And so when I left my parents' place, I was like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I'm done. And by doing that, I like in my brain, like I wasn't able to, to connect the dots. It was until I had my burnout that I really had to look deeper into my own self that I realized how much my childhood had impacted me. And so I totally relate to what you're saying about your body and how, nah, you know, you name her, you know, it's a person. And mm. yeah, like our bodies have so much wisdom. And, and I think it's so important to be able to understand what your body is telling you and to create, and to create this relationship, because we have to create this relationship for some, maybe, you know, a few out there are lucky to have this relationship from the get go. But I think that for most of us, we are, you know, early on, we dissociate because of trauma or because of conditioning or all these things. Yeah, I can really relate to that. Um, I, by the time I had left the church, I had had chronic pain for seven years and, um, they basically were like, I guess you have fibromyalgia, which is just what they tell you when they don't know what's wrong with you. I was like, no, I don't, it doesn't fit. And so I can look back and, uh, that actually started six months after joining that particular cult-like community, um, that I joined That's when my chronic pain journey started. And, um, you know, so I, it's not something that I have totally solved, but shortly after I left the church, I went through, I had, I was assaulted 
And then I had all these crazy medical problems, hospitalization, and then a, a year later, a really bad car accident. So like within a year, I had gone to urgent care five times and then emergency room three oh times. And I always say like they really should have like a punch card system. Buy three, get one free. And it wasn't until... I started doing healing work from that, you know, so I had built, so I left the church. I did this like healing work. This, I built this relationship with my body and I was like, I'm good. Like, look at me go. I can meditate. I can be mindful. I can have joy. And then I underwent all of these, um, body, like three major body traumas and coming out the other side from those, I realized, whoa, I haven't really, <laughs> dealt with this as much as I thought. Um, you know, even going to physical therapy for the car accident and then telling me, why are your shoulders up to your ears? Right. Like that's not from the car accident. Yeah. That's you, you walk around clenched, like Mm -hmm. you walk around like, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna hurt me. I got to protect myself. And that I just generally, my body is just tensed and that I had no idea that that was generally how I walked around in the world in this state of like self-protection and you know I, I again it's am- yeah it's amazing how you don't tension. realize yeah. Yeah, yeah you don't realize how much you're holding and how much you're self-protecting and acting in a way that's defensive towards the world so I really really yeah to what you're sharing where you're just like no no I'm good I don't I don't have to look at that everything's fine but really your body's like no we are stressed out and understanding how much I had to de-stress and eliminate a lot of things in my life in order to regulate my nervous system and then to be able to look back and be like whoa I was doing too much Mike she was working real hard in the system to survive to be loved to belong and my body really carried a lot of that um and I you know I'm still I'm still working on that. I'm sure you are too, where you still every, you, you just discover a new layer, a new layer that you have to peel off the next highest level of yourself, the next highest version of yourself. There's always just another layer of self. You know, I call that, uh, this is something that I tend to say, you know, cause I was, you know, so I had been on this healing journey for about, you know, two decades and then I had my burnout. And when I had my burnout, I had to, you know, go really deeper and, uh, and so that was, the, I was able to, you know, release this big chunk of crap. And, um, and that's when I, you know, I've started to really, like I said, embody my true self, but it's something, mm. it's an expansion that is, that you do on a daily basis. You know, it's about embodying more of who you truly are and letting go of what you are not all this conditioning, all this programming and all this you know this persona that you created to protect to protect yourself from the world you know it's it's actually a lot of also a lot of self-conditioning a lot of self-programming and that you have to let go of and it's a process uh and it's 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 a daily process and it's it's also a choice because you know you can just you know not look at it and just keep on you know moving on with your life but i knew that my burnout was really a wake up call. And I didn't have that choice anymore. It was either girl, Mm. you're going to keep on having those pains and you're going to, you know, (laughs) keep on having this life that makes you feel so unsatisfied and so unhappy. It's either that, or, you know, you, 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 you become courageous, you know, you become brave and, um, and you do the work and, uh, you listen and you listen to yourself, you know, you listen to your intuition more and you listen to your body and um, you start do- making choices from a place of, you know, this is what I want to do and not a place of, oh God, I need to survive. I need to pay the bills. I need to do this mm-hmm. I, and all the things. So mm-hmm. honestly, I think it's probably the bravest thing I have ever done in my whole mm-hmm. life. Yes. You know, to, to just listen. like... Yeah. yeah, just like what you did, you know, you, you realized that, you know, the church wasn't good for you anymore. And it was so bad for you is, that you had to brave. get out of it. And it is brave to leave because you lose 
everything in a sense. Yeah. You lose your entire community. Yeah. Like and your identity. They, your identity. Every I mean, I do tell that to myself all the time. You are so brave to leave. It is so I mean, it sounds easy when you tell the story like, oh, they're so messed up. Why would you want to be a part of it? But when you're in it, yeah, you, you don't realize your it. safety net and that's yeah. all you know, Woo, of course, to leave is a big deal. And yeah, to learn know. to to listen. I after I experienced all these body violations, um, I again I was having all these weird medical things and I started having heart palpitations. And I went to urgent care and they hooked me up to all these things. And I'd been having it for a couple of days and, you know, the urgent care doctor was really concerned. And uh, so I went to my primary doctor and she had me wear this monitor and the monitor, I wore it for a couple of days and it revealed nothing. And so I went in for my follow-up and she said, you know, I, Melissa, I think this is just anxiety. Like, I think you've gone through a lot and this is anxiety. I got a different doctor. I was like, nope, you are not taking me seriously. There's no way this can be anxiety. I've never had anxiety. (laughs) I thought I didn't have anxiety. That's funny. I thought I didn't have anxiety. (laughs) And I went and got a different doctor. And it was probably a good year before I started to understand, whoa, not only do I have anxiety, uh, it's really bad. And I have to do something. That's a whole other story we don't have time for. But I had to take drastic action and change my life in order to regulate my nervous system. But it's not funny how, again, we're so dissociated from our bodies that we're just like, no, it can't be right. Give me the pill. Give me the scan. There's something wrong with me, but sometimes it's truly, and it doesn't mean we ignore when there are major medical things, but sometimes our body does take drastic action to say, Hey, we're not okay. And because we are here for you, our bodies are constantly advocating. They're trying to communicate and to say, please do something different. (laughs) We love you so much. We want you to survive. Please start taking different action. And I'm so grateful, you know, that my body, I always say she's the greatest possession that I have. And she's the only, she has my best interests in mind and she's constantly trying to communicate and help me. And I'm so grateful that I have that relationship with her now. And how do you feel today? And how did you Cause you know, you're a life coach. And so, yeah. yeah. So first of all, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I, I took about eight months, um, recently in the past year before I picked up my coaching practice again to heal. I felt an obligation as a healer in this world to do my own work. And so I literally, a, a therapist, nutritionist, naturopath, like I did all the things and I took eight straight months of working part-time and healing or getting right. Re- I would say, I mean, healing is always a journey. I got regulated. I regained my ability to regulate my nervous system mm-hmm. and to be well is a core value of mine is wellness or well-being. And so I am, I am doing really well because I also, because I was able to regulate my own nervous system again, the ability to stay in a relationship with people that I love that are still part mm-hmm. of that system without conflict is a huge accomplishment that I have achieved and that I'm able to find my my true self and security in myself and my own knowing and my own inner wisdom and that I'm allowed to be on my own path and I can break some of these codependency patterns where other people's thoughts and opinions affect how I feel of course. <laughs> about myself. And what made you want to be a life coach? Well, I when I left the church, I discovered all these coaches. I think I had a really negative stereotype against life coaches. Like, okay, you're going to tell me how to live my life. Some of that is also religious leaders will tell you that too. Like, you only need God. You don't need other people. And when it's I It's discovered- funny because I've heard that as well. At some point, I was following- uh- some sort of like, um, I wouldn't say she's, she's more like some sort of like spiritual healer that I'm not following anymore, but she said something about coaches, which I didn't get. She said coaches like, yeah, like basically, you know, it was not worth, you know, um, seeing a coach because Mm -hmm. coaches, you know, they're telling you what to do, which is the total opposite. No, they don't. No, they don't. It's the total opposite. And I didn't know that. Find what's right for you. But like in the mind of a lot of people, coaches are here yes. to tell you what to do with your life, which is what the nope. system <laughs> is doing, yeah. but not a coach. A coach is 
here to help you find out what's right for you. And I didn't know that. And so when I found these coaches, you know, I had been in therapy before. I can honestly say that these coaches helped me transform more than any therapist I had had to that point. And I realized that you could be extremely skilled in your little area, right? And your little niche, like you are an expert. And I had no idea. I was like, who are these magical creatures? (laughs) And, you know, I had been miserable in my career journey forever. Like I was like, I can't find my thing to do. I'm not happy. I'm truly miserable. And when I started to understand what coaching is, I was like, that's me. Like, wait, that I already do that right in my life. And a lot of that was within this harmful system. But I, I stumbled upon my life purpose. And when I started to tell people that I was going to be a coach, they're like, yeah, you, that's, you already do that. <laughs> like, the, like they yeah, could it, see there was such alignment yeah. in who I naturally was. They were like, okay, uh-huh, yeah, you already do that for free. For, I don't even ask you and you <laughs> coach me on my life. And that's how I just stumbled upon it truly. And I was like, this is my thing. And, you know, I'm so grateful, Monica, that I found it later in life because if I had found life coaching in my twenties, being a religious person, I would have been that coach that does tell you how to live your life. I think I would have come at it right with that black and white thinking. I definitely would not have had that approach of the person on the other side of the screen has their own inner wisdom that I'm just guiding them to No, that would not have been my approach. And so even though I had all those years of like, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm so glad I found my purpose later because I was who I was supposed to be. I was a healthy, arrived, awakened person that yeah. can approach this sacred space and work that I do with my clients. And I'm so grateful that I discovered it later. And where can people find you? Yeah, I'm um, right now. I don't have a large social media presence and presence and that's on purpose for my own uh, nervous system, but I have a website, melissahart.org. Uh, my last name is H-A-R-T and Right now, I do have a free resource on my website called, it's a journal guide, 30 minutes to disarming fear and taking action. And so you can go to melissahart.org. It'll pop up. I will share the links Hart. in the caption. Okay, great. Anyway. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and I also have a one-on-one coaching program that I just launched called Braving the Unknown. And it's 12 weeks to confidence, freedom, and the next chapter of your life. You know, I'm really passionate about helping women who are kind of experiencing what I went through, which is a major life change. And we um, talk about, you know, boundaries and vision and this relationship with your body piece and all the things that I wish I had had when I was going through that major life change. And ultimately, I do believe that the person on the other side of the screen knows what's best for them. And like we talked about, I just guide them to themselves and trust that they know what's best for them. And I just love seeing these women because they're incredibly brave to step into the next chapter of your life and to do something different than what everyone around you expects or wants you to do is incredibly brave. And it's such an honor to just support and cheerlead women on that journey. I'm so thankful. Okay. And I just have one last question because I'm, yeah, I'm very curious and I really would like to know, um, (laughs) where are you? And I'm not even sure that my, my that my question is really English, but hopefully you'll understand. Where are you now in your faith? Yeah, I love that question. So um, when I left my faith, I went very quickly to the political left. And I realized like, oh, I just jumped from like one place telling me how to do and act and think to another um, place that's telling me like what I am and not allowed to do. And I realized that like, okay, body, you're really wise. You were feeling like, ah, ah, I don't know what to do. So you found another, what you perceive as a safe place to be. And I realized that I wasn't sure at first I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta find another spiritual system. I gotta become a witch or I got, you know, all these people. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like I had to become something Mm -hmm. and to answer your question quickly, what I discovered is because I'm such a black and white person naturally, that my spiritual practice was going to be to not have the answers and to not know and to live in the gray. And that that meant learning. And that meant, I don't know. So my answer to you is like, 
I haven't landed anywhere. And that is my own necessary spiritual practice that I have to do, that I have to challenge my nervous system to be okay to live in the gray and to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm not really sure. And that in itself is a spiritual practice. And that's not popular. That's also like, people want to know where you stand. What do you believe? What are your opinions? Um, even in the dating world, right? Like if you can't check all these boxes, I can't have anything to do with you. And so that's where I am. I'm in a season of learning and challenging. It's very against my natural state I love to this. be in the unknown. <laughs> and that's where I'm at. And I'm happy to be there. And it's taught me so that's much. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa, for Thank being you, here with Monica. me today. And um, yeah, I will share the links to uh, your website and your freebie uh, in the caption. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, not so fast. Do you want to find yourself? Do you want to find your happiness? Do you finally want to live a life you truly love? Then let's have a chat. Go check my website, embodyyourflow.com and book your free call.